This study is not for a person that is unwilling to look at where they are high cost. One of the things in my over four years, nearly, nearly five years with you guys, is I realized I was a really high cost customer at times. But also, I, it enabled me, if I'm a high cost customer to you, I'm also a high cost to other people in my environment. And people sometimes don't transact with me because of that. And so I think this is not for someone that is unwilling to take a really long, hard look at where are they being too costly for people they say they care about. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ojai, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. Today's feature is an exclusive interview with a panel of advanced members who just returned from our 2017 annual member conference, our flagship global event held annually in some of the world's best luxury resorts. We conducted this interview as a study in the immersive impact of learning and practicing in a social and consequential environment. While most conference participants suffer death by PowerPoint, the Influence Ecology Conference is known for its game, an entirely constructed strategic real life situation that may last two to three days. It produces real experience and consequential conditions which maximize learning by doing. You'll hear how each of these participants left the conference with a practical and emboldened experience of their ability and capacity to meet their aims. Here's the interview. Joe, if you'd please just say who you are, where you are, and what you do. Hi, uh, my name is Joe McNerney. I am a lawyer and I am in Chicago. Great. And Nina? Hi, my name is Nina Davis. I'm in Stanford, California, Palo Alto, and I am a nursing communications specialist. Thank you very much. And John James? Hi, my name is John James. I am a, the CEO and co-founder of the C-Section Recovery Center, and we're in the North Dallas area in Dallas, Texas. Right. And James? Hi, my name is James Walls. I'm located in Singapore, and I am the Product Marketing Director for an IT organization. Uh, just to start, I just want to give people an opportunity to say anything you'd like to say about the conference, generally speaking. So I'd like to say just generally, conferences, and I'm a person that's actually run conferences in the United States before, are generally content-oriented lectures, often what we used to call death by PowerPoint smart people talking about narrow subjects to a large audience. I can tell you that's not what the annual member conference is. My challenge always with the conferences that I'm used to is that they don't have enough, if any, impact on my life after I leave the conference or the attendees' life. I can tell you that my experience of the annual member conference is 
precisely the opposite. In many ways, the results of the conference don't surface until I get to Chicago, back into my environment that I'm normally in, back into my legal work, my office, my family. That's when I see the incredible results generated by what I will characterize as not a a conference organized around giving the participants new content, new knowledge, and yet that happens. It's more of a learning by doing, taking information that we've been learning for some time and applying it, sometimes in an unusual way, sometimes in a game, sometimes in other interactions that allows me to test, to explore, to apply my thinking to reality. All right, anyone else? This is John James. I, I had this thought when I got back from a conference this year. It's the first time I've ever thought of this. In the early 90s, I bought a book called How to Learn How to Snowboard Before You Go. And I studied it intensely. And then I actually booked a trip to go snowboarding. And for me, the studying with Influence Ecology for over four years is a lot like studying that book. And then the conference is a lot like the actual snowboarding trip. Reading a book about snowboarding is not the same thing as snowboarding. Just like studying at Influence Ecology and going to a conference, those are two different things. That's what conference was like for me. I came back from conference this time and I had learned things that I just I wouldn't have learned. I thought about all the people that may study with you guys that don't actually go to conference. I, I don't know what that number is, but they're missing something. And missing how the environment tends to show me where I'm weak or as an inventor where I don't. I don't actually utilize the help in my environment. Conference causes me to get help. Great, John. James or Nina? Yeah, just to add actually to, to what Joe was saying, the big thing that strikes, strikes me about this conference is the experiential nature of it. And as part of that, the relationships that we build with, with each other, and I was talking with my study group post-conference, and we were just reflecting on how we already miss each other, but the difference in the missing is that we're still holding each other to consequence. And when we form outside of this sort of environment, those tight relationships, you often give people a pass. You often start to get slack. And this is just the complete opposite of that. We, you know, through that whole week, we hold each other's feet to the fire and we grow our relationships with each other through doing that. And that's just so cool and something that's really uncommon outside of that environment. That's great. Thank you. Nina? This is my fifth conference. It is an immersion environment where you have the market forces that you would have in your regular life condensed for you. And whatever shows up as a challenge is on steroids because you are on a team with people, some of whom you know, some of whom you don't. And for me this year, what was miraculous is I was on a team of 14 people and I would never have actually gotten to know these people in such a great way if I hadn't been on that team and saw some offerings and creativity and generosity that was just Amazing. So I, I thank you so much for that environment. You're welcome. Any comments or anything else now that you've heard other things and are reminded of other things? It's just that this is such a rich environment 
And it's, it's a concentration of everything. It's a concentration of hard work. It's a concentration of in-depth relationships. It's a concentration of honesty. It's, it's just so rich and concentrated. And that's what makes it special. And it just creates that impetus for learning, forgiving, opening up and being vulnerable at the same time. And that's just brilliant. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to something that Joe said for just a moment, because when Joe talked about the conferences that he's attended in the past, some of the professional conferences he's attended, he mentioned Death by PowerPoint and the kind of focus on data and getting some new information and someone tells you something from the front of a room and so forth. How does the kind of environment that we produce at a conference differ from other learning environments that you've been involved in. So what are those kinds of learning environments and what are those like compared to this one? Well, I know that every year when I attend your conference, what's missing and it's good that it's missing is thumping your head on the table and going, oh no, you can't believe I went through that. Thank God that's over. The experiences, certainly in the medical world, is the organizers want to push as much as possible at you. And what's lacking in some hospital environments is the the dynamic of communication. And that's what I want to learn. Because if you sit and look at PowerPoints and write, that isn't what you're doing in the real world. And the opportunity to have a world created for you, which is everything that you could possibly think of that would be thrown at you, and that's valuable because you really have to watch yourself and you are confronted with what you think your value is versus what everybody else thinks your value is. And that's real life. And I think that's one of the many reasons why conferences and the environment and your design is is so rich. With most professional conferences that I've attended, you're only ever expecting to get 20%. And I've always found that having my smart device or my computer handy was great because it meant I could be productive for the other 80% of the time that you weren't getting any useful content. This one, it's completely different. I found myself in in an environment where the phone was a distraction and an unwanted distraction, that I would shut that off and put that away because what we were being hit with was so rich and never the complete answer. If I look at how we played the game, and this year we had a very interactive game around the concept of Shark Tank, and I had the privilege of being a shark, But as part of that, we weren't instructed about how to act. We were given the freedom as sharks to go and discover that for ourselves, to go and work together as to how we wanted to play our role and express that. And so there was a whole discovery that was just hugely immersive. And you just don't get that with a PowerPoint after PowerPoint presentation from the front of the room. That's great. Good to hear, John. For me, I've been a massage therapist for 25 years completed nearly 75,000 appointments now. And when I go to have training in my discourse, you do a lot of actual work, like body work. And so it's a combination that's not completely different from an influence ecology conference where there's certainly an intellectual aspect to it and then there's experience. 
I've also done training where it's all experiential, but it was kind of external in that there was music involved or trying to elicit some sort of emotional response, I guess. Influence Ecology's conference for me, it was required to work with others in the room. So it wasn't like I was sitting there, like, like James mentioned, about being on the phone or a smart device. Like that didn't even cross my mind uh, because there was so much interaction going on and so much transactionalism going on. That, that didn't even cross my mind. A lot of people would expect a very intellectual experience by itself, and that's just not what happened here. It was intellectual with transactionalism causing something totally different. All right, very good. And Joe, anything for you? Yes. I, I've, I've been a prosecutor, a defense lawyer, an adjunct professor. I've run national programs for world-class investment firms and been responsible for training for 1,100 lawyers in a, in a particular government office. And people actually attend the training at this conference. I've been to New Orleans and other places on conferences, and nobody even comes to some of the sessions there because they're out jet skiing and playing golf and doing whatever they do. And I, I wish I could produce, John, whatever you and Kirkland actually produce here. I honestly can't capture it. All I can say is it's profound, has an enormous impact on me personally and professionally. And if I could put it in a jar, I would. Well, thank you. You come to conference and you have some things you'd like to accomplish and you have some aims in mind. And and they get there and like John James's example about reading about snowboarding versus snowboarding, I'm sure you discover all kinds of things about what you assumed might be true or... It's where, where the rubber meets the road, and it's where you discover the truth about your ability or your capacity or your lack of it or your naivete, or you kind of confront all that stuff. So in your personal experience, when you were there at conference, what did you learn about you? What did you learn about how you transact successfully or not? I, I came into this conference with a with an aim in particular around uh, weight loss, like actually around my health specifically. And what I found through the conference and through the game that my breakdown is that I don't ask for any help. I'm trying to lose weight without any help. I'm not actually using my environment or my ecology here in Dallas to give me the help I need. And how did you find that out? What actually happened in the conference or in the game that had you discovered that? Well, I was a team leader, meaning that I was one of six teams leaders that had 12 or more people there to help them try to win Shark Tank. And the game is set up as such where an inventor can't do it all by themselves. I guess they could try. It would be a a massive disaster because the constraints of the game and also the constraints of time around the game. It actually forced me to immediately look at my environment and go, what resources do I have here in front of me? Human resources in front of me that I can use. And that's where my aha moment came in. I go, I actually don't have a breakdown around many portions of my health. I'm not asking for any help. Mm. The game around healthcare for me, or let's say the game of weight loss, in my world is not constrained enough to cause me to ask for help and to get the help that I have. I mean, I'm in healthcare. I have a lot of I have a lot of help at a very close reach. So you're not using the social environment that's available to you, and you're not using the social environment for the consequence it could provide? 
that's a very good way of putting it is I'm not, I'm not using it that way. Yes. Okay. All right. Good. Great. Thank you. Understood. Clear. Thanks. There was a very simple thing that we did near the beginning where we all stood up and introduced ourselves. And then the context of the game unfolded and we were given the opportunity to stand up and introduce ourselves again. And this just really struck me that we spend most of our lives introducing ourselves in a way that doesn't relate to others, that doesn't, especially when you know the audience, set up an environment of reciprocation, of help, of offers that bring you closer together. And I've really come away from that looking at how I communicate with any audience, how my first words might relate or not. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm still in the inquiry phase about how I might use that and how I might embed that. But it's just something that keeps on uh, resonating in the back of my mind on a daily basis. I'm just going to describe that experience for a second. What we did at the beginning of the conference, we had people simply get up and introduce themselves. Then we shortened the time frame in which they could introduce themselves. And people did something that you might think of as a standard introduction. Although, frankly, I was sitting in the back room and, and they were quite brilliant. I was very impressed with the group as a whole. And then we introduced the game. Now the stakes for the game, the kind of value or help you might need to promote yourself to offer were clear so that when people introduce themselves again, and now we shorten the time even, we cut it in half. So people had only a moment to really speak to the help they would be to other people. And in that contact with that frame, then what people did is introduce themselves in a variety of amazing and creative ways. Some were quite tactical. Hey, I do graphics. I can organize things quickly and, and so forth. So there was all kinds of introductions like that. James, I've thought about that myself because even as you brought it up, I remember thinking when someone invites me to introduce myself, I might even, again, as an inquiry, say, well, under what context or to what audience or who am I speaking to? Because I may introduce myself 50 different ways depending on the kind of help I know I need to promote myself to be. That really comes back to actually pausing. So what is the aim? Why am I opening my mouth? What am I wanting to achieve with this versus just instinctually reacting? Absolutely. If you'd like to know more about influence ecology and our approach, check out our webinar, Ambitious Living, The Eight Defining Principles. The webinar is available globally. We'll teach you the core principles practiced by the most successful and effective men and women we know. This webinar is for those who aspire to an influential life that provides measurable satisfaction for themselves, their family, and their organizations. This webinar is specifically designed for those who don't want to sacrifice a well-balanced life for superior financial rewards. They want it all. To find out more, you can find the link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. Very important for me, John, is not only that, but there's a consequence as well that I often miss the consequences 
it's not just the reward. So we've got this game and 100 people are going to get chosen Sandlot style and some folks are going to be chosen last. And there's this competitiveness, at least in me, that starts to, I want to be on the winning team. I want to get on a good team. I want to get picked early. I want to look good. Oh, I don't want to be picked last for God. You know, no, don't pick me last. <laughs> right. And when you give us a, a new context for making that introduction, and I, I made an introduction at both in both sections, the, the short one was very different, very contracted, and I know a lot of those were entertaining and much more powerful and, and landed with me in the audience, and, and certainly the one I delivered was more focused and had a purpose to it. I also know, you know, you get up in front of the room and deliver it poorly, there isn't a consequence, there's an impact to that if you don't deliver it well. I tell you, the, the difference between those two introductions, just night and day. I, I love talking about this because I think it's a really great way to talk about the first hour of a conference. So this is a five-day conference. So this is the first hour of a conference. And for anybody listening, there's all the learning that we were committed to happen in that first hour from how you might introduce yourself to a crowd of ambitious individuals or what would happen to your introduction if you only had a very short time to do it or what might happen if you now had to compete for being picked on the team first or what might happen if you knew you might be eliminated from the team if you were of no value. All of that was designed so that in the first hour, there would be an enormous impact to the way that you might now act in the moment to produce a valuable offer of help to a huge room of people. I think it was about two years ago, people started to talk about the conference in a particular way, and they started to refer to the conference as an opportunity to meet amazing people. There's 100 people in the room from all over the world, eight countries, I think, this last conference. People in every kind of industry and business you can imagine, and in every role you can imagine. But what they all have in common is that they're all there to train themselves to live a satisfying life, to have the, the kind of work, career, money, and other conditions of life satisfied. Again, two years ago, people started to talk about not just the content, but the people, the people and the opportunity of being at a conference with, with all these people. And I just want to turn our attention for a moment to the opportunity of what we refer to as a social dynamic. And it includes all the things from who's in the room, the quality of people in the room, the higher ecology kind of people in the room, the consequential nature of being in that kind of environment. So I'd love to hear anybody's comment about what it's like for you personally to walk into that room with that sort of social dynamic. I'm going to start first, if I may, John, this is Joe. The conference is so all about the people. I know the people on this call who I've only spent a short period of time with. James Walls, I think I've been at three conferences or so with him, and he's like a brother to me. I'll bet I haven't spent an hour and a half or two hours, just the two of us, talking about our circumstances, our lives, etc. John James, I know his wife. I know him. I know what he does for a living. I know some of his friends who participate. Nina and I were on the same team, and you, you, get, you really get to know people in a very different way when you are participating with a goal in mind, with high stakes, 
there's always certain people that I gravitate toward, whether it's attractive people or accomplished people or interesting people. What always stuns me is how many people I meet that I ordinarily wouldn't meet in my work or in, in the Chicagoland area who are extraordinary human beings with, with accomplishments that I had no idea I would walk by them on the street. But when I get a chance to sit with them for a moment and find out who they are and where they're from and what they've done in their lives, there's very few places I'd rather be. John James, you're going to say something? For me, meaningful is an understatement. And this year in particular, this is my fourth annual conference and seven conferences total. And it was different this year in that type of people that are there just so uncommon and everybody's playing so full out and nobody's missing a single thing. They're all so present. And when you get to the end of it, it is kind of like we survived something and went through something together. And this, this year in particular, when we got home, and we do a conference wrap-up in our office for a full day. Mm. And something happened there this year that hasn't happened another time for me, like a camaraderie. But also, again, like we experienced something together. I just don't, I don't know where else no, you that, get that's, that kind that's of. That's beautifully said. I, I, I've, I've talked to two dozen people from the conference in the last 10 or 11 days. That's never happened to me before. And what are you guys talking about? We talk about the conference. We talk about... What I'm up to, we talk about the future conferences, who's going and what happened with respect to their team and what they learned from it. And sometimes it's just, it was great to see you again and looking forward to seeing you again in the future. It's just like friends. Well, one of the things, since this is an inquiry for all of us, I think this is something I just want to poke at for a second. And I'm thinking about the different conditions of life that we study here. When I listen to this, and I listen to the impact, right? Something's being satisfied. Something is being attended to in your being at conference that is not just the ability, the skill and ability to satisfy your, your work career and financial aims, but some other abilities, some other conditions are being attended to. So when I put it in that context, does that move you towards in that inquiry? Can you see what's beginning to be satisfied or what is satisfied that sort of a byproduct of conference? I know for me, it's relationship. I feel like I've found my tribe. That's what it feels like. That's beautiful, Nina. It really is beautiful. It was such an amazing conference for me. I had two guests, a person who was my boss for six years, who has totally supported this area of study for me. Uh, she was there for two days. And we drove home to San Francisco. And so we had about six hours to drive home. And she said, well, how would you describe it? And I said, well, the only thing I can think to say is that I've left with a full heart. It just brought this wonderful feeling of connectedness for me because here are my friends, here are my study group. We have spoken every week since the 1st of October. 2016, yet we've never been in the same room together. And so that felt very triumphant. Well, I have a question since you talked about you found your tribe. I've had many, many people say that about Influence Ecology, and we didn't build this for that specific purpose. It certainly has become my tribe. It certainly is my tribe. It certainly is the tribe of many people who participate here. This is for the ambitious professional who seeks to satisfy some rather lofty aims. This is for the person who 
wants to put themselves inside a consequential environment so that their aims become a reality. This is a group of people that doesn't tolerate talking about something year after year after year that never turns out. This is a group of people that really supports one another in accomplishing some amazing stuff. So who is this tribe not for? I'd love to have a crack at this because, I mean, and this is part of what Nina was saying with connectedness. You guys set up such an environment. When you walk into that room, you have to strip away any hidden agendas, any pretense, any politics, any bluster, any of the bullshit that we tend to see in everyday life. And because you get caught out very, very quickly if you try and operate in that way. If Joe's saying that in his his daily world, he doesn't get to see the real person, the real, the real people, and none of us do because all of those elements, all of those distractions are part of our careers, are part of our working life, are part of our employment or, or those we're looking to influence. Mm. And so if you're, if that's an environment you like, then this is an environment you'd hate <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. Well said. Anybody else care to comment on that note? Yeah. I'm thinking about the different personalities that we study in the influence ecology. This study is not for a person that is unwilling to look at where they are high cost. Mm. One of the things in my over four years, nearly nearly five years with you guys is I realized I was a really high cost customer. But also I, it enabled me if I'm a high cost customer to you, I'm also a high cost to other people in my environment here in Dallas. And that people sometimes don't transact with me because of that. And so I think this is not for someone that is unwilling to look at that. Like look, to take a really long, hard look at where they, where are they being too costly for people they say they care about. For an inventor, we, we're known as the arsonist. And I've, I've worked really hard to stop lighting fires. And I, I still do it sometimes, but I catch myself so much more quickly. Mm. And if I wasn't willing, if I was a person not willing to do that, there's absolutely no way I would make it in this organization. It just wouldn't work. There's probably some people in the organization that haven't quite learned that yet. Well said. Anybody have anything to add to that? It's about ethical ambition. And that is so refreshing. And you can't take being corrected. This is not going to go well. It's having a mirror held up to you. And sometimes it's like, oh, oops. But life is a consequential environment and your career is a consequential environment. With influence ecology, you learn a year's worth in five days. And given the compression, um, there can be an intensity to that at times. When I say correction, I do not mean unconstructive criticism. Very well said, Nina. Thank you. When we walk through the door, I mean, the, 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 the great thing is that we've all been conditioned for this. We've all been conditioned to know that we can't make it alone, that we can't do it alone, that we are flawed in some way and everyone is flawed. And being exposed to that before we walk in means that you walk into that room looking for help in the areas that you can't cover on your own and looking to learn how to ask for that help in a better way. And that just opens it up from the start. One of the things that we've come to realize over the course of our eight years in this endeavor is that consequent is 
as important to this enterprise as the content, what we teach, how we teach it, the way we lead a program, and so forth. So what we mean by consequence for any listener is that there are lots of situations in which the last 40 or 50 years has removed consequence from certain situations. In fact, I brought up on a podcast, I was reading somewhere about how over the years, the playgrounds in the United States, they're now practically injury proof. They're covered with a spongy material on the floor. And it's almost as if the consequence has been removed from the playground. And there are institutions in which the consequence has been removed from some from certain situations. And everyone and everything and every possible something is protected from the consequence of possibly something else happening and so forth and so on. <laughs> that we live in a world that's trying to remove consequence when consequence is like gravity. You cannot avoid it. And if you don't accept that there is consequence to action or inaction, then you will not move transactionally in the world. In other words, if you imagine the transaction cycle and we take out consequence from one side of it, the whole thing falls apart. So in your experience of working out in the world and the environments that you encounter, do you find that people are trying to remove consequence from the equation of living a life? And if so, what's that like? And what is this teaching you? Well, I can tell you, John, for me, being a, a criminal defense attorney, that's my offer in the marketplace is reducing, eliminating, disappearing the consequence for what often is serious, inappropriate conduct. And I think what you say is true, the whole everybody gets a trophy mentality. Part of what makes me so competitive is that I can always lose. Mm. Winning's not enough. And I love to win. The reality of the marketplace, the reality of society, the reality of what we call the current in the study is there are consequences. There really are. There are consequences like you just pointed to, to no consequences. Hmm. I have uh, a lot of opinions about this. I own the C-section recovery center where we help women recover from having had C-section and the trauma that is caused by the C-section, I think our healthcare industry in particular is laden with fabricated consequence. And consequence of becoming pregnant naturally is to have a baby vaginally. And yet there's a hospital in Miami last year that did 51% of their births by surgery. The World Health Organization says that number should be around 7%. I think we live in a culture that has fabricated a lot of consequence. What's amazing about this environment is that I'm safe from a consequence that's not accurate, that's not real. In the influence ecology environment, I get to experience a real consequence. It's not fabricated. I want to go back to John James when you were speaking about the difference between reading about snowboarding and then snowboarding. Because I want to address knowing here for just a moment. And um, as you as you all know, in every one of our programs, there comes a time when we talk about satisfaction metrics, or the narrative is actually results and consequences, right? So in that conversation about satisfaction metrics, we say your success in this program requires an integration of study and practice, or 
you could say learning and doing. And then we go on to say that through action, assumptions are validated or modified. And without action, knowledge remains untried, unproven, mere information. So we live in a world in which the latest book, the latest how-to, the five tips to this, four stages of that, and the three best ways to this. and the, So there's a lot of things presented in the popular narrative that I would assert most people don't know. You would only know snowboarding if you went snowboarding. There's a lot of things that people assume they know, but they don't know them. They merely understand them or merely grasp them. So my question to you is, in studying with Influence Ecology, how has your relationship shifted to what you think you know and what you now do to know? What you're pointing at is learning by doing, learning by testing, learning by failing. One of the things I did for 10 years was I, I taught law students how to try cases, how to be trial lawyers. And we did it in a real courtroom with pretend witnesses, but you know they actually practiced out in a courtroom what it was like to ask questions and have a witness be resourceful. And, and they learned to do some cross-examination that way. And there's a famous law professor by the name of Irving Younger that used to write, he had what he called the Ten Commandments of Cross-Examination, and these were the never-dos of cross-examination. Things like never ask a question you don't know the answer to like that. And his caveat was, until you've tried 25 jury trials, live by these Ten Commandments. Once you've tried 25 jury trials, throw them out and do whatever you want to do. But by that time, you will know like you'll know, you'll know what it is to ask a question you don't know the answer to and have it absolutely bury you. And it's that experience in life. It's that stepping on a nail, putting your hand into fire, getting run over by a bus that really, really, really teaches people. Hmm. It, it strikes me that it's the whole aspect and the consequence of having to do something. If you're in a situation where you have to do it and you don't know, we're, we're in breakdown. So you better learn and you better learn quick. And one of the, one of the things I found with all of the shortcuts that we see is that that's not, not often the best way. And through doing that and taking those shortcuts, you then, uh, if you're observant, get to learn that that's not the best way, that you've spent more money than you should have or you've not produced the result that you wanted to. And so, I think knowing is that rather than someone giving you information, knowing is being able to test and understanding the consequence of, of testing and taking further action based on that. Mm. I think this also has something to do with, with the process of embodiment. When we look at that, I mean, do you understand? Do you think you could recite or do you embody? One of the greatest gifts for the, out of this for me is my study group. We have an agreement that someone says something and the rest of us are going, oh, no, I'm sorry, wishy-washy. Well, no pass, no, sorry. And it's a good practice environment, and it's a practice environment with integrity because we want to do better. 
So I think it's a combination of reading, learning, discussing, practicing. It's mm, great. Thinking about the snowboarding example, the reason I, I studied how to learn how to snowboard before I go is because that's what I knew to do. That's the only acts that I could organize. I knew how to study. I knew how to read. I knew how to buy a, a plane ticket to get to the place to test it out. I knew all of that. And so I, I did what I knew to do. And in the process, I, I, I learned a lot of things before I got there, but I still didn't, I guess I can say I didn't have knowing regarding snowboarding yet. I just knew how to orga, organize the acts to prepare for it, now, which required some speculation on my part. But when I got there, I, was, I never took lessons. I, I fell back on what I had studied, and it worked out really well for me in that there's many things that I, I did really well regarding snowboarding, but there's a few things that I found out through the actual practice of it that I didn't know. And so while practicing, it showed me something. I would have had no other way to see it. I wouldn't have been able to organize the axe to get from the top of the hill to the bottom of the hill if I hadn't have actually been snowboarding. And, and, and this... This is so good because you can't read in a book how, how to get off a chairlift. <laughs> um, you can stand at the bottom of the chairlift and, and, and watch people wipe each other out and hope that that's not going to be you. But, you know, you, 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 <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but that, uh, Snowboard, that's, the, that's one, of the, one of the hardest things when you don't know. Is you you know half clip yourself on, you get on the chairlift, and then you see this top looming to work that out to get to the point where you know on the next round after you failed to get off the chairlift <laughs> what you'll do differently the second time. Well, one of the things that I have loved about studying the condition of life, knowing and and recognizing, especially as an inventor personality, that I have spent a lifetime pretending that I know when in fact I merely grasp or I merely have a concept of. And I have I've gained an enormous amount of freedom to say, I have no, no freaking clue about this, that, or the other thing. And in that split moment, recognize that I don't quite know. I only merely grasp has allowed me to get help and in ways and in places that I never imagined getting help because my, my MO, my modus operandi is to press my way through it until I know, but then I spend an enormous amount of time working on things. I probably ought never labor through the knowing of when I could just get good help or when I could just find some, uh, an expert. So that's my take on that one. The last thing I'd like to do is just give each one of you an opportunity to say any final words. You can, you're welcome to say anything you'd like. Uh, you can comment on any of the topic. You can just basically anything else you'd like to say to close out. I, I just want to say how incredibly grateful I am both for the, the environment and the practice that Influence Ecology has set up, but also for the just the sheer willingness of everyone else as part of that environment to engage you know the uh, the time i spend with joe the time i spend with john the time i spend with nina is is just so dear to me and it's just it's just something unique 
All right, who else? Well, the one thing that was so different for me this year, I had the same boss for six years, and I had the most amazing work life with her for six years. And she was actually a bit stunned. She said, everyone is lovely. And I mean, everyone. And I said, yeah, I know, I know. And that was her, I think, big takeaway, just being so impressed with people. We came to dinner and we sat down and then I didn't see her. And that was great because she has a very specialized offer in healthcare and people were so interested and she had such a great time talking with people. It's such a place of trust in that you can bring guests. And my goal for my guests was to have the best time and meet as many people as possible. Some people I knew she would love. Some people could benefit very, very greatly by her expertise. Um, and I had the experience of having my guests, my favorite people, kind of disappear. And it was great because I thought, wow, what, what an amazing gift. And if I can give anyone that gift of coming to conference, I will. Great, Nina. My, my final comment, John, is thanks to you and Kirkland and Influence Ecology for the opportunity to participate both in all of your programs as well as this evening. My pleasure. John? And, and for me, John, um, I was just th sitting here and reflecting. And when I started with you guys, I was alone. I had a couple of people working here in my office, but I had no real connection with them. And I had been going at this alone for years. Honestly, now that it's not like that, it's I realized how lonely I was. Mm. And from a just a real typical standpoint, lonely, but also so limited in what I could create when I was only creating through my own head, which is a place that I have spent my whole life. This seemingly safe place, but I'm not sure now. Like, <laughs> you know, if I'm left to my own devices in my head, that's not a good thing. And and this organization has coaxed me and created constraints for me to over and over again reach out in my own environment and recognize the help that I have that's right there and that's smarter than me. Mm. I don't know how else I would have gotten that. It's been joyous at times, and then there's times it's been it's been really painful. It's been so helpful, John, and I, I just look forward to every conference, and I'm learning so much, and it's just getting better and better, and I really appreciate you guys. All right. Well, I'm a bit speechless myself. I have so many things I'd love to say. I'm going to try to to be as succinct as possible. First of all, I'm I'm a bit humbled by this opportunity, this opportunity here today, this one, because I have the experience of getting to know what's going on out in the the tribe of influence ecology in the in between the people that are here and and participating in a way that I don't think that I knew I've been hopeful that it looked as it does and I'm a bit kind of back at what's happened with this thing that's well beyond what I ever would have imagined 
you know, ultimately, all I wanted to do was to make sure that I could personally surround myself with an enormous body of amazing help that I could spend the rest of my life training and, and developing people to live satisfying lives, rich and satisfying lives, accomplishing things in reality, not as a, as a hope or a pipe dream, but actually having accomplished lofty aims and goals and to produce an environment where other people begin to be the support for other people. One of the things that I'm well aware of is on the one hand, this train has left the station and, and even if Kirkland and I decided to shut it down, I would imagine that there'd be a huge tribe that wouldn't let it, right? So on the one hand, it's the train has left the station and this thing, this thing is now has a life of its own and I would never want it any other way. And then at the same time, that people are helped to one another in a way that you could only hope for is something that can't happen except with time, that can't happen except with a lot of time and a lot of history and a lot of really, really good and valuable work done by ourselves and you and everybody here. So now this thing, it's, it's something that can't be duplicated because it would take an enormous amount of time, energy, and effort to do. And so for all that, I'm extremely grateful because I know I didn't do this myself. I didn't do this by myself, and I didn't do this on my own. You did this. I did this. We did this. And I'm grateful that we all share the experience of this ecology that seems to continue to influence us in our lives. So I, I thank you for, for that. So thank you much. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. Thank you. In our next episode, we interview Kim Corbett Johnson. I knew I was ambitious. I knew I wasn't lazy and a failure, but I couldn't articulate it. What I was doing was creating a lot of possibilities of being successful and working on my flaws. But then as far as being objective, I thought, I've never really sat down and said, what do I need financially? What do I need for my income to have something concrete and then work on it? How am I going to do that instead of it just being a pie in the sky? Okay, throw it on the wall, see if it sticks. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with others. You can share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can subscribe on iTunes or any place you get your podcasts. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment to go to iTunes and let us know what you think. Thank you for another great episode of the Influence Ecology podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I'd like to thank our guest for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with them and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. Episode producer, editor, and music supervisor Jason Kelly. Podcast copy and show notes, editing, and links by Carol Gregory.